isolation station Hello everyone and welcome to the Isolation Station presented by D&J on Google, Apple and Spotify podcasts. You can find us on social media at the Isolation ST. This week I'm excited to announce that our guest this week is Rick Murta. Rick who is uh, say comedian, sculptor and just all round lovely guy. Rick how are you doing? I'm good man, thank you for that lovely intro. Part of it was inaccurate but I appreciate it. <laughs> which, part, which, part, which part did I get wrong? Oh, the lovely guy. I'm I'm a complete prick, yeah. So oh. <laughs> a self-indulgent prick, if you will. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Yeah, you, you remember that show? <laughs> so yeah, Rick. Obviously, uh, I personally know you from uh, our time doing comedy together, and obviously you appearing at the uh, shows that I used to do at the Rabbit Hole. Um, but since then, you've uh, well, you've started your own business, effectively. In a, in a sense, yeah. So I'm still working my way up to uh, getting it to a point where it's running effectively. So essentially, uh, the brand name is Makings of a Murder. Uh, what I do is sculpting, uh, painting. Uh, obviously, I upload my comedy at some point, and I'll be doing drum covers as well. So it's essentially it's all the skills that I've accumulated over the last, like, let's say, ten years. And now that I'm in a point where I'm I'm comfortable with all those mediums. I want to put it all into one kind of brand and just kind of essentially like show off some skills, but also all the commissions that I get from sculpting and painting. I, I use that as my basis for work as well. So it's pretty, it's pretty exciting at the moment. I, I came up with the idea, I think maybe like late last year. And I thought, oh, right. Okay. I've actually got all these skills. And instead of like trying to find different avenues separately, why don't I just put it all into one and kind of showcase myself that way? And that actually seems to be a thing that's picking up at the moment in um I think particularly in lockdown at the moment, to be fair. Uh yeah. people aren't just aren't just presenting one product really. They're actually there's there's sort of multitudes of skills that people have put on display under one umbrella at the moment. Yeah, because I, I think a lot of people they don't want to I mean, unless you are just good at that one thing, most people don't want to be pigeonholed. They want to be able to branch out. Like I think in this day and age, if you've got a multitude of skills that you can present to people why just stick with the one of them um but unfortunately sometimes that can come across as jack of all trades as well but uh, i think I've, I've got to that point now where I'm, I'm comfortable with what i'm doing with everything uh i still need to do more comedy but obviously with lockdown that's a bit impossible at the moment but um i guess that'll be the, the thing that uh happens last i think well I'll come back to comedy, but just just to put a bit of shine on your sculpture, because obviously I know I know what you've been doing, obviously personally knowing you. But could you just give us some examples of your of what you've been commissioned to do or your recent projects? Yeah, uh, I've recently finished um, the album cover for Nirvana's In Utero. It, it was quite an interesting uh, commission because obviously I I didn't really have much to work with other than the the front facing cover, so I had to kind of create a bit of a figure for it. Um, that was the most difficult bit, and obviously the wings, but um, it came out pretty decently. Um, other stuff I'm, I've done is I've done eight figures from the Willy Wonka film as well. Right. So that Bloody was a bit of yeah. So it's, it's it's all all fun though, man. Like, and, and I'm getting more commissions from like, mostly America and like in the UK as well. Occasionally, I've had Australia and uh, Canada right. and. Italy and I think one in Ireland as well so it's, it's going all over the world which is pretty insane thing is as well like, I've only been doing this four years and it's gone that quick like I, I've just been doing it non-stop like when I first started it was out of boredom and because I was unemployed 
Um, so I, I, I started going, oh, yeah, I remember I used to love Celebrity Deathmatch. And then I thought, okay, well, let's create some clay stuff. And then uh, it just kind of went from there. I just got hooked. And now I'm essentially making part of my living on it, which is um, balls out insane to me, to be honest with you. And for people who might be listening, is there, have you got a website or anything they could check out? Uh, uh, not an actual website yet, but you can check me out on uh, Facebook. I just just put Rick Murta, and I, I, I normally post most of my sculptures on there, and Instagram as well at Murta. Yeah, yeah, inquire. Uh, prices differ. I mean, obviously, if you're outside of the UK, prices are, are bumped up just because of, like, uh, the, the shipping costs as well, and sometimes people want more bulk stuff as well, so um yeah the, the prices do vary because i do get a, quite a, a varied amount of uh, requests as well um uh, yeah i've had some absolutely insane stuff i was gonna say oh, have, what, you, have you had what, anything um sort of interesting a bit out there at the moment uh there's this one guy in america uh who's commissioned me to do a lot of stuff actually he just, he just seems to really like my work so i'm doing a lot of guitarists at the moment um okay. so uh, i've done buddy guy uh bb king Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath, Doyle von uh, Frankenstein from The Misfits, and another guitarist called Eric Gales. And yeah, yeah. yeah so he, want, and he wants me to do even more stuff now. Like I'm getting a lot of like uh, musicians at the moment, which is pretty cool. Because I'm, I'm always doing stuff in between as well, because like obviously I get bored very easily. So like sometimes I'll, I'll like start a commission, I'll either finish it that day, depending on how big it is or how complex it is. And then um, I'll just do like a painting in between or something like that, or just like play, do some drumming. I always got to keep myself active because I don't want to get so engrossed in it that I kind of lose interest, if that, if that makes sense. Because sometimes yeah. I can put too much effort into something that I, I end up resenting it, which is, a, I think it's such a typical human thing, isn't it? It's like probably being in a relationship, you with the person for so long, you end up resenting them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank God my wife's not around. <laughs> um, but yes, tentatively. Um, uh, well, I, I mean, in terms of they resent us, you know. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm so glad I'm single right now. <laughs> especially during lockdown, yeah. Just, just, just feel that bolden chain there. Um, <laughs> yeah, obviously. Um, so, Rick, your situation at the moment in lockdown, are you uh, are you isolating on your own or are you... Uh, so, yeah, I'm with a good old mum and dad because obviously when I uh, moved back from Brighton and, you know, for, for the reasons why, because obviously I split with my ex, uh, yeah, I ended up being home with the family lamb. And, yeah, so just, just with them and they're, they're both of like the high risk, well, in terms of what scientists or government, whatever, say uh, about them. So my dad's been, I think my dad's been furloughed. And my mum's been required to take 12 weeks off just because she's of a high uh, risk. Um, tensions sometimes do run high, but thank God I've got sculpting. <laughs> we had my mum move in before the lockdown started. I mean, you met my mum, you know, we get on like house on fire, but they, that was difficult. Um, yeah. And she, she, she took the decision to move back home. No, it is, it, it is difficult, you know, I think. Because uh, I, haven't, I haven't spoken to you about it. I wonder why she moved out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but it's such an unnatural situation and to almost feel like you're forced with yeah. each other it makes that really difficult because you love the person you value your time with them but if you feel kind of penned in together because out of lack of choice it's that's tough to deal with regardless of how well you get on it, it is yeah because it's like, like you said it's an unnatural thing it's like you don't want to be lumped in together just because you have to be 
Like you want, you want to have a choice of freedom as well. Like um, uh, the, the the good the good thing and the bad thing about it for me is like I haven't been able to see my my girlfriend in about three months. She lives in Hertfordshire and I live in uh, in Middlesex, so we're about an hour and a half away. But right. uh, I think it's been good for us because we haven't been with each other for you know twenty four hours a day, so we haven't been able to rip each other's heads off. But at the same time, <laughs> you do. You do miss like the the companionship there as well, but we we call each other every day. And what we ended up doing was um, we started watching like uh, Netflix shows together as well. Like we'll we'll be on the phone like talking about it as it's on. Like we 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 just completed um, season three of the Ozark. Oh yeah, I haven't seen that yet. A lot of people have been telling me to watch it. Oh, it's so good. It is ridiculously yeah. good. Like it, it started off slow. I know it's one of those typical things. It starts off slow, but it gets good. But it, it really does. Like um, like by season three, you're like, what the fuck? It's it's kind of like it's like it's like um, I I would I would compare it to Breaking Bad, like probably not as insane, but it, it is in that realm. I've just finished Tiger King. Oh yeah, we we we, we watched Tiger King as well. That was just batshit insane. Carol fucking Batman. <laughs> I, I I was literally waiting. I, I think it was the point. It must have been episode four where someone went, and that's when things started to get really crazy. And it's like... <laughs> yeah, that's literally what they say as well, isn't it? Uh, like, sorry, like, I, I've been to America once, Vegas, and I can't, I can't really count that because like, that's just not a realistic representation of any place in the world. After watching The Tiger King, I'm almost starting to half think, might not have been that far away from American culture, actually. I compare it to when I was a kid and I used to play Grand Theft Auto. And like the storylines of it just seemed absolutely ridiculous. And now I'm like, were they based on a true story? Like, I, I mean, let's you know, it's home, to question it a little bit. Well, I mean, if you hear like all the stories of like 70s New York, ta- you know, Taxi Driver, that, that was so real. Like mm. all the stuff before they cleaned it up in like the, the late 90s, that shit was happening. That Grand Theft Auto was pretty much New York City in the 70s. Times Square was all fucking like, porn and fucking strip clubs and um you know like gang bangers and then you know you can get you can get fucking heroin and cracking easily you know in Brighton so we not call that St James Street hey that's the thing I missed about living in Brighton yeah I, yeah it's uh, obviously not I don't know actually I haven't been out I wouldn't know what's going on in fairness if anyone's in lockdown or not um but I'm really been out, but yeah, but yeah, Rick. I mean, to be honest, kind of, it's kind of the good and bad thing about having you on. There's too many things to talk about. I know, I know, you just said just said that we can't really do comedy at the moment, but I feel I do need to uh, delve into that topic because uh, yeah, shoot. Also, we'll see, see like blown smoke up someone's ass here. But Rick, for people listening in, all four of you, Rick's certainly one of the, my favourite comedians that I've seen on the uh, well any circuit when in my time doing comedy. Um, first met you. It would have been the Aberdeen Steakhouse shows, wouldn't it? No, it was. It was. It, it, it was Rabbit. It was, it was Rabbit Hole. Yeah. It was Rabbit. Sorry, I'm thinking. I, you know, I'm I was going to say, don't tell me you've got got him confused with another comedian that you liked. Did you get me confused with his chef? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you no, know, there was. It, it was around the same time because we our last shows at the Aberdeen was about when we started the Rabbit Hole, and it was definitely around when we started the Rabbit Hole that I met you. That's but right. Yeah. That time I must have met. It was about a core contingent of five, six comedians outside the Brighton area that I just, I just got close with. So you were one of them. We had Chris Borkhurst, Julie yep. Flynn. Um, oh Christ, I've forgotten his name. About to say Omar Hamdi, although top lad, but um, not who I'm thinking of. Yeah. Um, Shiraz, Shiraz. 
Siraj Youssef, yeah, yeah. Siraj Youssef, yeah. Um, and there's a couple of others I'm, I'm unfortunately not remembering off the top of my head. But yeah, we um, sort of met around that time and actually just kept seeing each other sort of almost around the south of England circuit. I mean, everywhere I turned, Shiraz was there. Uh, yeah, yeah, it did not stop, yeah. But that was, I mean, that was just a bit of a nuts time, sort of particularly comedy in Brighton. Like, there was so many shows. I think, uh, remember off the top of my head, we had, I'm going to put the one I was doing with Joe McCarthy to one side. You had A4 Adeli's, um That's right, yeah, we had that. Oh, yeah. which one? He had, he had his night in Marcus Gray. He must have been running about eight nights a week. He did, actually, <laughs> yeah. He was, he was a bit insane, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he had about eight shows going. But, yeah, there was, there was at least, I suppose, about, I'd probably say eight comedians all running around. And I think remembering you at the rabbit hole, you were first on, loved you, not just because of your set, but you're a brilliant guy. You came in, you said hello. You actually asked questions, not just about for your interest. You were generally interested in how Joe and I did it. You were very receptive to where you were going to be on the set list when a lot of comedians would be like, I want to go last or I want to go here. I don't want to go after this comedian because they're shit, which is often me. Uh, but you were very, you were very, very uh, receptive of uh, what Joe and I needed for the night. But at the same time, you were very, um, you're very confident in putting yourself forward when the time came for your set. And then I think it was within a couple of years, you were, we just had you down as headliner as many times as we can. Yeah, yeah, which I really appreciated. Um, yeah, but me, me, you and Joe just got on like a house on fire. And I think we were introduced through Chris Borkhurst, I feel, if I remember correctly. But um, yeah, yeah, those were yeah. fun gigs, man. I really enjoyed that. Like, like that was one of the times where I started coming to Brighton more often, like obviously four gigs and then eventually ended up moving there for a couple of years, ended up moving like five minutes away from you, weirdly enough. Yeah, so yeah, I, I, I think Brighton, it, it holds a, a very like kind of like a warm place in my heart just because it, I just I just love the, the vibe there. I love doing comedy there. It was just so much fun. Even when I bombed, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think there was definitely like a family. There was definitely a family feel because Brighton was, I mean, other people listening, apologies, obviously don't know all the names I've just mentioned. But just to give a bit more context, there was probably about five regular comedy nights sort of mm -hmm. amateur and semi semi amateur in Brighton sort of between the quadrant what is now known as Bar Broadway but used to be three and ten um you also had um oh, I'm trying to remember the hotel um Hotel Pelorocco hosted quite a few yes, nights right. yeah, yeah that was Charmaine Davis's yeah Charmaine Davis's night and um and there's other nights I'm not mentioning um and I certainly don't mean no disrespect but yeah there was there was a wonderful family feel not just with the comedians but actually there was a core contingent of an audience that used to like follow those gigs, wasn't there? There was, yeah. I, I think I don't know if that part of it is down to the fact that Brighton's smaller compared to London. Yeah, that could be it, but um, I think yeah, I think in Brighton it's got a definitely a lot more of a communal vibe to it, which I really mm. enjoyed. Um, you just got on with everyone there. There, there didn't seem to be that many egos either. Like in the London comedy scene, it's probably that there's just it's so oversaturated. A lot of people they're definitely up their own ass um mm. from my experiences and you know they've all got their own little clicks um which which just happens naturally anyway i'm not not like putting anyone in a, a box just but that's just the way it is but um <laughs> like yeah i i, I something it was just something about brighton and and still is today that i just think it's, it's just got such a nice atmosphere i mean even brighton fringe now is like just kind of blown up like it's got a, a lot better over the coming years. Yeah, and it was actually it's a shame this year because obviously for obvious reasons, COVID nineteen, they've had to postpone fringe. But and 
it's a massive part of actually Brighton culture, I think, and the Brighton calendar um, up yeah. there with pride. It's a period of time everyone looks forward to. It's not just the performers and the families and friends of the performers. It's everyone. We get to go and see so many different artists present their talent. Kind of what I was just describing there about that, and you as well, about that communal feel in the Brighton comedy scene. Mm. You certainly get that in the Fringe. Obviously, I, I, I had the honour of host co-hosting your solo show, Self-Indulgent Prick, at the Joker a good few years back. That's right. Yeah, that was a fun night. Yeah, really, really was, enjoyed that one. Is that what it means? I thought it was just self-indulgent p rip. I, I didn't really. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, uh, we, we, we need to talk about parentheses there, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> but you, uh, I, I remember you saying that you were, uh, and you've actually got it on YouTube right now. The show from Brighton, haven't you? Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's that. I was up about. Not long after, actually, I think I put a couple of clips up. Then I put I put the full show on YouTube. Yeah, so for people just to enjoy. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a decent show. I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I think I did a, another one a year later, the Quadrant, which was um, one-liners, bit of crowd work, home bed. That was the title of the show, um, which was all right. I, I just thought I'd try something different, like one-liners. Like I, I did have so, a lot of some of my favorite jokes are in that set, but as a, a a whole, I don't think it was my best. I think that's why I started to kind of go downhill a little bit. Uh, I, I did feel like uh, mentally I was kind of slipping on my comedy game. And then when the sculpting came along, just took over. And I, I need to get back into comedy at some point. But yeah, because I do miss it. I'm still writing a lot. But, um, you know, sometimes I've got to give things their due. Like the sculpting has just taken over my life. And I'm not going to like dismiss it because it's a good opportunity. And it's also a great creative outlet for me. I can just like quickly create something. Just feel good about the time I put into something and how it looks at the end of it. And then it get, I'll get more work as a result of it. Like the only reason I've been getting so many commissions is because of the commissions I've been doing. So once I present a piece of work that someone's uh, asked for, more people get interested in and they go, oh, wait, so if you do stuff like, let's say, oh, you're doing that Game of Thrones thing, would you mind doing something like, you know, like from Harry Potter or something like that? You know, that, that's how it all has been going the last three years, which is just mind-blowing. I, I suppose that's the thing. Like, I don't... We, we, we had three musical guests on the other week um, talking about sort of the impact of the COVID-19 on the music industry and also yeah. the, the kind of physical rigours of touring and setting up gigs. But actually, and I, th I think we can almost, we don't need to rehash the impact of COVID on comedy. I think it's not too dissimilar, but actually just sort of the physical rigours of comedy, because you lived in London at the time that I met you. You were travelling down to Brighton a hell of a mount. Yeah, I, I, mean, like, I like travelling out of London. I mean, just give it, at your, I suppose, at your busiest in comedy. Yeah. Just just give a rough, how many times would you gig a week? Oh, uh, when I was doing it regularly, at least like four to five times. Uh, and then I, I took it, obviously, when, when you were in the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which I, I haven't done since like five years. But when I was there, I, I made it a point to do as many shows as possible. And I think I, I think it was about eight or nine in one day. Jesus and right. Yeah, which is, is, is insane. And But it was good, though, because you were able to develop new material on the spot. And then almost, I don't want to say you finish it by the end of the, the last gig, but like at least you have something there to go off. Yeah, but unfortunately, because comedy is like just huge now, like everyone wants to be a comedian and everyone's like vying for spots. And, you know, it's kind of gotten tougher for me. I would, I would say I say me personally, but um, to get more spots like uh, consistently because uh, mm. some, some nights just end up dying and then you lose track of who's running who, you know, what gig now. 
So I, I did let that slip by me a little bit because sometimes you have to really be on the ball, especially in London. But yeah, unfortunately, like, uh, you know, my life kind of changed a little bit. So uh, eventually I'll be able to kind of work my way up gradually. Some posts I've been <laughs> putting on Facebook or Instagram has well, upset a few people as well. I, I always uh, said that um, I've been unfriended by more comedians than I have real people. <laughs> I mean, it was highly competitive when I was involved, and I wouldn't say I was nearly as involved as you were. I mean, just sort of people who don't know, like travelling from London for you could take, what, an hour and a half? Yeah. Something yeah, like definitely. that. And, and then you arrive at the venue early, get yourself some dinner, you're not paid for that, um, mm -hmm. wait around. You're networking as well because you're looking for that next gig, but also, you know, talking to other people and just... Because you could be the only one there from London. You You, you might be the only person... You, you don't know anyone and then yeah you go for it and you wait you watch other comedians do their set and then you're, you go up there and just before you're due to then rush back to your last train for an hour and a half journey back to london you do a 10 minute set like that i tell you what actually you just reminded me uh the craziest thing i ever did comedy wise in terms of traveling was i traveled 11 hours to edinburgh to do a 10 minute set at the stand it, the reason it took obviously uh 11 hours was <laughs> because I, I took the mega bus. Some would say that's a rookie decision, but um, you know, it's, I'd say it's a money saver. <laughs> and, and some people might say, why the fuck would you travel 11 hours for, for five, 10 minutes? It's exactly, it's because you love doing what you do, right? I, I love that gig as well. Like ever since I'd, I've done it, they've been very good to me. I know I've always enjoyed, it's, it's quite like a famous comedy club. Like you've, you've seen it on Comedy Central and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's quite well known. Yeah, it took 11 hours. And by the time I got there, I think the gig had already started, but there was a surprise because I didn't realize that phil jupiter's was headlining so i got to meet him and we, we had a little bit of a chat about you know all things like never mind the buzzcocks and stuff like that then he said he was doing a tour show and i think brighton was one of his stops and his daughter lived there and he said like next time you're there like let me know and i'll get you on a guest list and we'll have a beer together so that's one of the reasons why you do uh, 11 hour trips to to do a 10 minute spot because you get those moments that you just unexpected you mentioned there as well about um the mental strain of it at the end and actually how suddenly sculpting for you took over from that point that you you said at the self-indulgent prick show you weren't kind of mentally there is that kind of burnout from the comedy uh, I, the, the self-indulgent prick show i was quite happy with it wasn't it wasn't like where necessarily where i wanted it to be i think it was the show up the year after where i really started yeah. to slip just issues with the previous as well yeah just kind of the stresses of like not being able to pay rent you know uh, very well yeah. and that, that stuff kind of gets in the way and then sculpting was the only thing that was kind of making me really happy at that point when i was doing comedy gigs my mind wasn't necessarily there i wasn't really enjoying the vibe anymore I wasn't enjoying being around people so that, that definitely took a hit i think actually it's in comparison i don't mean to compare the two because they are different but comedy and music i think that's the difference between comedy and music though if you're not there musically mm. if you've practiced enough you've got muscle memory on your side if you will yeah. playing the guitar but it, as a comedian the audience will you're on your own the audience will, will sniff you out in five minutes that you're not really there exactly and i've had many of those situations <laughs> i don't like seeing my mother when i'm in a bad mood let alone sit in front of five ten people that are expecting you to make them laugh exactly um, you then judgmental faces Ugh. yeah or they think they've got the upper hand on you oh, well i don't have any reputation with hecklers but i, I know my reputation my own reputation with hecklers Sometimes I could be a bit too brutal when it is <laughs> uncalled for because I, I don't. I I have this thing that's like, okay, you're gonna try and outdo me, are you? Okay, but then I, I sometimes take it too far. I was talking to my friend earlier, and I was saying that we had a comedian on this week, 
was saying to him, obviously, you know, we, we like to try and make our guests as comfortable as we can. And he, he goes, oh, we, you need to just start shouting random abuse at him throughout the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, 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 kind of, that kind of works. For, I, I do thrive on headcount. That's, that's, kind of, that's a weird thing. Because like, I, I, I like to be able to go, like, verbally, you know. I, just, I, I hate having material. I like to be finding off the cuff really so if i'm kind yeah. of feel like I, i've got material that i'm just having to remember or like in in a specific order i mean I, there is a craft of comedy and i do respect that but like i i feel i i'm better when i'm just kind of talking or you know letting my mind be a bit more free i mean i'm still not there quite yet um but i i know you know it does take a long time to find your feet on it it does and you, you've got to think i think it's something about you've got to take your hits and almost get rid of that insecurity of of what you think at that time when you take those hits because obviously it's a very natural thing for people to be like well what did i do wrong what 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 was it about what i did or said or how i looked yeah. that contributed to that situation um impacting negatively upon me and you, you get defensive yeah. you say you do that verbally to hecklers but actually in essence, that, that's in keeping with your character, I think, as a comedian. If people watch you on YouTube, they'll see what I mean. I suppose if you went too far that way, then you're just being harsh. Yep. But then if you go too far back the other way, it's like, oh, Rick's opening the door for someone to heckle him. And uh, everyone then jumps in on it. Uh, no, you're, and you're right. I, I've had both sides of the spectrum, like where I've, I've had like times where I've been like absolutely spot on with hecklers where they they deserve to be shut down and i got the round of applause but then i've been on the one side where it's like okay i literally just look like a fucking vulnerable piece of shit and the, the sharks are going to attack me now and i deserve it because i'm, yeah. I'm not owning my, i'm not owning my shit on stage i think there's something for both the audience and the comedian where the comedian wants to feel that they're being funny and the audience want to feel they, they're going to find it funny but at the same time both sides want to feel safe with each other yeah so, if you just said it, that the audience doesn't want to see a psycho or see anyone crumble and collapse on stage and you're almost counselling them. I, I, I get what you're saying there, but I, I think that's a, that's a bit of a mainstream approach. Like uh, one of my okay. favourite comedians was uh, Patrice O'Neill. And one of the things he right. said about the idea of comedy, really, it should be that there's 50% of the audience that are laughing and 50% of the audience that are horrified. And, that, and that's what I, I agree with the most because... If I if I'm performing in front of an audience where they're all the same group of people that's got they're all the same mindset, I don't I don't I find that creepy. It's like I'm performing mm. in front of like a cult or something. It's like if I if I just been recruited to do a gig at the Church of Scientology, it's like I've got to yeah. do all these kind of jokes that they all find relatable. Like I, I like having I like having those gigs where like I've I've got one portion of the room with one joke and I've offended another portion with that same joke. And, and I find that interesting because it's like, oh, okay, so you're, you're not all in this together. And, that, and that's kind of what I thrive in the chaos of that. Um, because I think that's where I'm talking to real people then. Um, you know, if you're offended by the jokes, that's fair enough. That's a real thing. But if you're all offended by it, I'm like, get fucking real. You, you're not. That takes a lot of bottle, though, actually, just to put it bluntly, to accept and almost um, embrace that a portion of the audience are not going to get what you're saying or agree with what you're saying and are going to. And you're almost aiming for that to create that chaos, as you say, that you thrive in. Yeah, and, and, that, and that's just for me. Like, uh, I, I, if I think, I don't know, I don't want to say this without sounding like I'm shitting on anyone famous, but um, to a certain degree, there are comedians that are just universal. 
there's a universal comedian that like everyone loves and that's and that's them if that's authentically them that i understand that but i think a lot of people especially in comedy now they're trying to be a bit too likable you're just you're too busy trying to get on the comedy central live at the apollo stuff and i'm like uh, it just it just bores me like i see the stuff on comedy central now and i'm like you know what i would actually watch this if i feel like i want to be bored yeah but, but then at the same time though that's just me like i've got my own style of my own sensibilities and my own humor uh, in terms of comedy i know what i like but at the same time i'm not opposed to silly absurdist humor either like i love patrice neil but i also love maria bamford you know mm. like, i love bill hicks but i also like lee evans segmented like safe regimented comedy yeah exactly that i see on comedy central or, or whatever um i just find it redundant and i think the problem now is uh, it's i think it's the same thing that's happened that happened in the 80s with comedy is that there's too much comedy so you're going to get all these comedians that you've never really heard of there's comedians that i've gigged with on the circuit that are on tv now some of them deserve it some of them are just like okay they fit a mold if people feel they're able to manage the anxiety and the potential backlash that might come because social media now you could get filmed put on youtube and everyone has an opinion about what you've said as a joke and i wonder yeah. if people would rather avoid that potential public backlash or the backlash from the audience for that matter actually with how um certain topics are perceived and debated we, I, I i can't remember the last time i've heard a weight joke i can't remember the last time i've heard a, a political joke unless it's you're in brighton you're guaranteed you can take the piss out of the tories you know yeah yeah exactly then and, and that's where the typical safety comes in it's like it's like everyone's doing like trump jokes i'm like i i'm anti-trump myself but like you're not you're not saying anything new it's like saying you hate trump it's like saying you don't believe in santa claus it's like okay what am i getting from that that, that that's what i kind of find a bit it's just it's just redundant and that's why i like hearing people with different viewpoints especially ones i don't agree with because then i know well, I can stand with those people, whether they give me something that's an insight that I might not have considered before. We have, we have a special treat on the on the isolation station this week. We have the, uh, our listeners have been asking questions about the current state of affairs in the UK. And in response, we have got along our own very, very own political advisor, Jamie Howard. Jamie, hello, how are you? I'm very good, Josh, very good indeed. Thank you very much for joining us exclusive to the isolation station to give us the inside scoop for the current state of affairs of the UK. Um, the political advisors join us. What we're going to do is, uh, as well as ask the questions that our listeners have been asking, we're also going to ask you, um, we've got two topics that we're going to ask questions of, and what we're going to ask you is to actually guess the news story for each topic, if that's okay. Is that something you can do? I can try. <laughs> so uh, to make this a little bit more interesting, uh, we'll be asking the questions and the, and uh, Jamie as political advisor will be answering them in a way that is not too obvious as to what the story is. Uh, right. However, at, at the end, he will reveal what the story is. Okay. So uh, Mr. Howard, if I could first ask, oh, hang on. Sorry, I fucked that up already. This, is, this really is a political conference. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? Right, okay. Mr. Howard, if I could first ask on behalf of our listeners, what are the current government guidelines on following lockdown rules? Um, well, basically, the government uh, guidelines are stay at home unless you absolutely have to travel. It's always best to stay at home unless you are a key worker saving lives or, well, just plain scared of going blind. If you're scared of going blind, then obviously the best thing you can do is contravene all DVLA regulations and laws, getting into a huge great car and drive down the highway. I call it the uh, 
testing your gun by roulette theory, you know? If you've got a gun and you're not sure whether or not it's going to fire, the best thing you can do is put it to your head and pull the trigger. Except in this case, you're not really, uh, you're not really pulling the trigger in your own head. You're firing it into a crowded room. Thank you very much for clarifying that point. And uh, our next question for the listeners is, what would be the best course of action to take if your child has come into contact with a suspected COVID-19 sufferer? Well, the best thing you can do is um, lock them in a car with someone who really does have COVID-19. Uh, that sounds like the most logical thing to do. It's a bit like, you know, if you're on a date with someone and you've taken them home, things are getting steamy, you're about to get undressed and they announce that they've got syphilis. You're not too sure whether or not you'll catch it. So the best thing you can do is go full on in there just to make sure, you know. Thank you very much. That's very useful for our listeners. And can you clarify for our guests and listeners, when is the right time to stay at home and when is it appropriate to travel? Well, um, the best time to stay at home is even if there's a tiny, mediocre chance that you might get ill. If that's you, if you think that you might get ill, but you have absolutely no symptoms whatsoever, the best thing you can do is stay at home, particularly if you are on a zero-hour contract or you're a poor-paid working uh, worker on a minimum-wage slave. The best thing you can do is take two weeks off, even though you probably aren't ill, almost entirely unbehaved with, what, £60 statutory sick pay? That's the best thing you can do if you've got a family to feed, if you're struggling to feed your children. Stay at home even if you're not ill. Unless, of course, you are ill and have reliable government connections. And if you can afford childcare, if you can afford to do anything except stay home, the best thing you can do is take your victim and drive them around the country. But again, that's if if you have the con connections and the money. Thank you very much. Um... Rick, do you care to uh, venture a guess as to what the news story could be? I, I believe it is about uh, Dee Cummings, uh, who took the miles and miles drive uh, up to Durham, where my brother lives, and uh, he forgot to wish me a happy birthday recently, so I sent uh, Dominic Cummings on an errand um, to <laughs> tell my brother I did not appreciate it. You heard it here first. <laughs> and Mr. Howard, after that tragic reveal from Mr. Mercer, can you reveal what the new story was? Well, I will reveal by giving you a little theme tune we've been singing in Parliament at the moment, and it goes something like, He'll be coming round the castle when he comes. He'll be coming round the castle when he comes. He'll be coming round the castle. Coming, Yeah, he's coming. Well, Mr. Howard, I'd just like to say on behalf of DNI and our listeners, thank you very much for taking the time to come onto our uh, podcast and uh, giving us that insider scoop on the current affairs in the UK. Thank you very much. Thank you. I wanted to, obviously, we've talked a little bit about mainstream comedy, and I yeah. feel like, obviously, you two have both done comedy yourself, whereas yeah. I'm just like a consumer of it. And for me, I feel like there was this peak sort of probably about five years ago now where you had the likes of maybe even longer, you had like Lee Evans and Michael McIntyre, Frankie Boyle, like all these like really big names that were yeah. on your TV screen every week. And everyone used to tune in to like Live at the Apollo and stuff. And yeah. then I feel like it just died almost. Like it's, it's, it's still there, but not to the same extent. It's not promoted so much. And I, I wonder, I think there's... There's obviously, we've talked a little bit already about people kind of thinking, what can I say? What can't I say? I think there's an element of that. And I also think as we're kind of 
evolving as a generation we're living in an age now particularly if you look at the likes of tiktok that's mm. full of like funny videos which yeah. are like 10 seconds long and you get people becoming famous off of that and posting right. these look some of them are genuinely really funny I'm, I'm not disputing that but i feel like almost we didn't touch on this in the music podcast but you've got a similar thing there where it's like singles are more popular almost than albums now. And I feel like you get that across comedy in a way now where maybe people's attention spans aren't quite so long that yeah, I think you're right, it's yeah. suffering to an extent. It is, but and, and also, um, like you mentioned with the, the TikTok, because it's like obviously Andrew Schultz, I don't know if you've heard of this guy. He's an American comic. He's fucking brilliant. He's like one of the comedians that I think you guys might like because he's he's very authentic and he's very out there and he, and he just doesn't give a shit. Um, he did this thing where he had an hour special, but he no one would, would pick it up. Comedy Central wouldn't pick it up or Netflix wouldn't pick it up. And so he, he got to this point where he was like, fuck it, why don't I just break it down into four parts? Put like four 15-minute parts of my special on YouTube and he, he all of a sudden... He started generating more views because he, he realized that people are watching comedy in short bursts and they they're not, they're not really taking the time to watch specials anymore yeah. and i felt like i'm doing that myself and i'm a comedian i want to watch our specials but i don't i mean unless there's comedians i particularly like i'm not going to watch our specials anymore so i think maybe it, it, that could be the, the future like you mentioned that it could be to the point where as our attention spans are slightly diminishing i think the comedy specials will diminish in terms of like there might be just half hour specials now and that's what you're seeing on netflix as well like you've got the the the, the degenerates on netflix and they've got like half hour sets and i think that's probably the way it should be because especially if you're going to like live comedy unless you're seeing someone in particular you don't want to see like an hour of everyone's specials you want to see them yeah. at their best at 20 minutes to 30 minutes obviously this is more on a sort of personal level but when you were saying earlier rick that you want to kind of get back into comedy a little bit maybe just yeah. doing a few tiktoks like is kind of a good thing for you to do at the moment because you get a f few hundred likes on them and it elevates from there doesn't I, it it's... if i if, if i just jump in there a second and sorry i was just writing down andrew shorts on my notes to check out um i think it is is the thing just speaking and obviously rick disagree me from wrong but I think the thing with TikTok videos, obviously there's, there can be a comedy element to it, but often people that use that facility, same with Instagram and Facebook, it's all for the likes. There are obviously people that try to be funny in, in certain ways and every humour is different. But um, I think like as a comedian, I personally, for me, being a fan of Rick's work, I mean, I kind of watch anything he does, but I'd, I always kind of get more of that joy out of watching him live at, over a period of yeah. certainly 10, 10 to 20 minutes, certainly within that, that almost... Um, the uh what's the word i'm looking for here but it was like lightning in a bottle just unleash it within that 10 20 minutes and there are some comedians i could definitely watch for an hour hour and a half quite easily things like tiktok it, it's just an example of kind of oversaturation and it, it's it feels like a lazy word now because it's a word we often use in today's society but we have a culture now where you can see not just the performance where they live their workout routine what their diet is who they're sleeping with where they're going to drink, what they're wearing, oh, they have a shoe line. You, you can you can see all of this, and actually, the it, the attention draws away from the co the content that they're producing originally. I'm I'm not coming at it in the sense of don't do comedy, don't go back to doing a full routine. I just mean in terms of in the situation no, no, that Rick's in at the moment, where he's you know his models and things. If he's got well, like just, a 
a concept that he comes up with that he wants to throw out there. Maybe it's something that could actually work quite well. Uh, like, yeah. And just to, just to answer both of your questions or, or to touch on what you're both saying, uh, Dan, in terms of like the TikTok stuff, like ironically, isn't TikTok just a rehash of Vine? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's that's what I don't get about it. But then, but also, I, I get what you're saying because a lot of comedians that I know are trying to do TikTok as well now, and that's 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 basically because they want a creative outlet, and I understand that. I I would do it if I had a genuine idea that I could probably branch across because otherwise I'm just going to do it just for shits and giggles and not yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. If I if I really wanted to branch out, I would I would probably do that, but I I'm just not like a at the ready. I'm not really like a 10 second kind of guy. Um, but and also to touch on what you were saying, Josh, about the fact that we we are in this culture where ironically it's an invasive culture that also screams about privacy yeah. it's like we want to know everything about everyone's fucking lives but we also don't want our facebook details to be <laughs> to, to, to yeah. go through um you know we don't want to be fucking advertised all this shit on wish which is basically a website that says i care but you obviously don't things evolve do you know what i mean like um there was a oh god and uh, there's a brighton comedian whose name i will get and someone please google it at one point there's a famous brighton comedian from many many years ago like in the 50s they got a statue put up of them in um by the pavilion gardens max, and, max miller yes thank you max yeah. miller thank you so much max miller and um i got given his um tapes by my grandfather who's a massive fan of his work and just to give an example here of how comedy's changed he used to come up and go because back then saying rude comedy was illegal like swearing was illegal in comedy you couldn't do it in clubs and he used to come yeah. out and go and it, it was he was an absolute maverick he'd come out and go now do you want to hear jokes from my red book or do you want to hear jokes from my blue book blue book obviously being the rude jokes and the audience would start giggling at the prospects of hearing yeah. a blue joke and then, like this is then you talk. You mentioned Lee Evans and Frankie Ball there. Um, Lee Evans, obviously, for me, king of the in terms of comedy of the overall performance. Like he had it all. You know, the physical comedy. All right, nick some jokes, but he was my favourite comedian because as a kid, I didn't have to understand what he was saying. The physical comedy made me laugh and drew me in. Yeah. Frankie Ball right. probably represented the comedian for me. Had kind of those bitter views that you'd have as a teenager almost, and would he was a genius at taking those bitter views and making them fun and funny even though they were offensive we mentioned about these short videos you can probably watch 30 different comedians in a one hour period and probably 25 out of 30 of them will probably do exactly the same thing because there's so many now like on netflix you they're, they're, they're um they're broadcasting comedy from some random bar in the outskirts of the countryside in america and it's like what the fuck yeah. are we going to be seeing comedians performing to free people in the quadrant and go saturday live at the quadrant in brighton like that that is and that'll be on amazon prime for download it's yeah so now it's, <laughs> yeah. it's 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 so hard to get you never get those comedians back because comedy evolves there's a there's a few surprises along the way because i mean i i saw jim jeffries last year who I absolutely love. Like, I think he's he's kind of to me he's like almost like the new Frankie Boyle. I would call him. Sure. <laughs> almost like at this time, I think he did two or three nights at the O2, mm -hmm. and it's funny because like you talk to people and some people have never heard of him, but he's playing at the O2, like the O2 Arena. Yeah, it, it's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, it, like shows, it shows you how dedicated some of the fans are. The fact that he's able to do that. And I think I think that's the the bright side of comedy now, especially with because uh, again, like we we mentioned, it is so huge 
and like people like Jim Jeffries like can sell out arenas that basically Chris Rocker can sell out. I think more comedians now are more famous on on social media than they are on TV. Yeah. With TikTok as well, you're going to get the the new hat brand of TikTok comedians. Funny people who are on TikTok have now become comedians because they're easy to market to fucking people in their 20s. Unfortunately, that's that's just a, a, a typical thing. Like YouTubers were like that. People who are Vine were like that. Obviously, Vine now being TikTok. But um, you're going you're to get those people as well who are just like, they're famous for being on TikTok, but now they've got to have, present a comedy show that's where you're going to find the real metal, the test their real metal because they're funny mm-hmm. for 10 seconds, but how funny are they going to be when you see them live for like 20 minutes or half an hour? Yeah, and I, I suppose the thing is, it, it's whether they try to do it or not, isn't it? Because you're, you're going to get some people that will make their money from TikTok or whatever and just won't bother going anywhere else. Um, it, yeah. I, I, I don't think it's like the YouTube generation and it, like, you can fucking make money from YouTube channels now it's just unreal um well you have been able to for a while but pretty sure tiktok will start doing that at some point but yeah there's they there's already have adverts on tiktok now because yeah. i mean I, you know I, I must admit i am of that that demographic where i i love tiktok i i, I avoided I it you... for months and i downloaded it about a month ago and i've been obsessed with it ever since Don't get me wrong. You, you, you get some great stuff on there man it's yeah. like you're going to find some funny stuff, but like at the same time, uh, it's just like anything. Like you find a lot of great stuff on YouTube, but you find a lot of shit stuff on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know like like with Facebook, you get mostly shit opinions, but you do have someone that's really fucking genuinely funny. You go, why can't this guy post more often? Now we move on to quick fire five. This is a round where we ask our guests, in this case Rick, to uh, answer five questions as quickly as they can and as accurately as they can. We've been timing our guests, as uh, our regular listeners might know. And we're recording the quickest times with the plan being at the end of it, we are going to uh, we'll have a special surprise for the winning guest. Uh, but this week we have Rick. Rick, are you willing to give this a try? Absolutely, man. Crack on. So so this week it's going to be D that's going to be asking you the quick fire five. And I'm going Crack to on. be timing you. So quite simply, on my, when I say three, two, one, go, you will start. And then sure. I will let you know your time at the end. Okay. D, D are you ready? I am ready. Rick, are you ready? I'm ready. Three, two, one, go. Would you rather be a wrestler or a comedian? Comedian. Would you rather isolate with Kevin Hart or quarantine with Frankie Boyle? Kevin Hart. What's 25 times three? I don't, how the fuck do I know? <laughs> Summarise <laughs> Brexit in one sentence. Boring. Would you rather be king of Wakanda or lord of Mordor? Wakanda. Oh. That's good. Oh, Rick! I don't know why I'm looking down. Like this is this is all audio. I don't I don't have to do any dramatic facial. You <laughs> <laughs> say you're just looking down at you. Oh, oh Rick! <laughs> oh, Rick! Well done. I have to say you have broken the record this week with twenty two point three seven seconds. Wait, you don't want to fucking say that because people well, that have been on it before might be like, "Oh, I can't wait for the tenth episode to find out if I've made the cut." <laughs> No, I, I, like, I like hearing that I've broken a record, finally. Yeah. <laughs> let, let, let Rick have this. All right, well, I feel after that, Dad, we just had a bit of a wet squib end to that round. <laughs> just let it flow. We've, we've announced the time every week. Why is week seven any different? Well, unless, yeah, but unless someone's writing down the times every time they listen. <laughs> oh, right. No, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. I was, I was... 
think you'll be. This uh, is very the greatest positive. shitting on my gold medal that I've ever fucking heard. <laughs> like, you won the gold medal, but who gives a fuck? <laughs> we don't want to tell you because we don't want to yeah, offend other yeah. people. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it would have been a, it would have been a nice surprise for Rick as well. Like. Oh, that podcast. It, it, what was that? No, it, like, did I do it, that? Oh, here's, here's I won the thing. It, <laughs> here's the thing. It, it was a nice surprise because I just broken a record. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. and I guess I guess you've still got the anticipation of whether you'll beat everyone else we have on. So. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's a learning curve, Dan. <laughs> well, thank yeah. you very much. I didn't really Rick, think this one through. Sorry. That's thank right. you. Very, thank you very much for not only getting interrupted for your glorious win. Um, <laughs> But st- we still have other guests who could break the record. They don't you worry. Um, but uh, thank you very much Good for taking man. part in Quick Five Five. <laughs> no worries, man. I enjoyed it. Moving on from comedy somewhat, Rick, one of the things I noticed about you on you on social media at the moment, uh, which I think is an interesting topic that maybe not a lot of people are talking about right now, but I think it is important considering we're in lockdown and the need to keep physically active. But you've right. reached the, uh, we've been, uh, I think you've retaken up DP yoga. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, it, it stemmed from uh, the fact that I have uh, too much iron in my blood. Uh, so, and I was having a lot of um, intestinal problems. So I had to kind of see a GP about it. Um, there was other, other issues um, where <laughs> um, I, I, wanted, I wanted to see if basically I had um, irritable bowel syndrome or inflammatory bowel disease. It, it, com- it came from a point where if I've got too much iron in my blood, that can lead to kind of liver disease and diabetes in the future. So that was kind of basically a health scare. Um, yeah. and, and I started uh, dieting and exercising and doing DDP yoga again about maybe a month before the lockdown. So... Once the lockdown happened, it made it seem like, oh, okay, now now that uh, the lockdown's happening, I've finally got the excuse to exercise. It was uh, annoyingly, it's just the timing of it. But um, yeah, I think I've been doing it since February. And uh, yeah, I've, I've lost quite a bit of weight. I've toned up again. I'm doing DDP yoga. I'm doing kettlebells, resistance band, training, uh, bodyweight exercises. Um, I'm riding a bike and I'm jogging as well. So I've, I've really uh, made a, a big change in my life. And, and for, the, for the listeners that don't know, um, would you mind just saying a little bit about what DDP yoga is? Yeah, so as an ex-professional wrestler, Diamond Dallas Page, he had issues. Well, he developed this uh, yoga system where he incorporated cardio and bodyweight exercises, but it was, it was more of a, well, I guess his own version of, of, of yoga, basically. And um, he's made it a huge industry. He's literally changed people's lives with it. There's a famous video, um, you can always watch it on YouTube. There's a guy called Arthur, I forget his name now, but he was like an ex-war uh, veteran, very mm. overweight. He had um, severe knee injuries. He was on crutches all the time. He could barely walk. Within, I think, just over a year or something, we doing a DDP yoga. He was able, he was like lean. He was able to run. He didn't have to use crutches ever again. So what his stuff, it really is the shit. Like, it really works. Like, I managed to get my flexibility back because I used to be a gymnast. And I managed to get my flexibility back that I haven't had in years. It's like, I've, I've got no back pain. Uh, I've got, you know, just, just doing the stretches alone, I just feel, like, immensely better for it. And I highly recommend it to anyone that just wants to do something that's, it's not strenuous. And you, I mean, it can be tough when you're starting it, but it's not so strenuous. Like, sometimes, obviously, lifting, Doing weights can be a bit too much, but like the, if you start, you can literally start simply and work your way up to like you know intermediate and whatever. But um, I, re- I recommend it. 
because I would say it's probably like it, it probably DP yoga originated just before we started getting all the fad celebrity diets, like the real influx of fad diets. It's been going around for yeah. a number of years now, actually. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And he, I mean, whilst he does draw upon celebrity stories and celebrity promotion, but actually, there's some genuine evidence, particularly for any fans of wrestling, who, um, for example, Mick Foley, who's notable for the number of injuries he's had career-wise. Um, yep. He said he's he's lost nearly a hundred pounds, maybe even more. Um, yeah. Le- the leanest he's been since he was wrestling. You've got um, David Arquette is a massive advocate for DDP yoga. Uh, and and the two the two main guys actually Jake the Snake Roberts there's a documentary yeah. um, where he he was a, a complete drug and alcohol addict for decades and uh, it took him about three years being under the, under the DDP program but he got clean and he's been clean ever since uh, same verse Scott Hall another ex wrestler who was an alcoholic and drug addict and he managed to get clean and sober through DDP I go uh, you know it's just changed their lives and he's the guy's legit like you can. He talks about it on Joe Rogan's podcast. He, he, he's literally everywhere on YouTube. Uh, the guy's a real deal, and it's worked for me tremendously. And you know, like you can literally do it every day and in any kind of form you want as well. So I say for anyone that just wants to kind of start slow and do something that can really change change your life, um, like I've been able to do things I haven't been able to do in like fucking like eight or ten years. And I'm 31, <laughs> so yeah, um, it, it really is a remarkable change, man. Because we talked about a lot of the podcast about being positive during lockdown, but actually, I was um, listening to, funny enough, Joe Rogan um, the other mm-hmm. week, and uh, it was a, it was an older podcast, but he was saying actually that there's something about being positive in your mind, but yeah. actually, it's um, he said it's more about your body moving and doing something and being active in that way because that's what our body craves and you know just what you're saying since you started doing ddp yoga you've been able to do things you haven't been able to do for eight to ten years and particularly in lockdown how important is that for you to have that sort of positive result it's 100 percent because i've i've also it's affected my mental state because um obviously if you're just sitting around doing nothing your mind's racing more than your body is and so you're feeding into anxieties you're feeding into uh depression i've had little to no anxiety and depression since i've been doing um the ddp yoga as well as like all my other body weight and kettlebell stuff and also the clean eating it's the eating that's that's the thing that that helps lose you lose the weight you can exercise all you want but if you're still eating crap you're not really going to do that much but um that's been a whole change for me like and i haven't had any like intestinal or bowel problems unless I'm eating crap. So mm-hmm. it's a it's immediate difference. Like when I feel completely healthy and, and more vibrant, like I wake up and I feel great. And I don't, if I have a, like a negative thought, I don't feed into it like I used to. So that, that's what I think has been the, the major thing. Um, ironically, like, you know, as much as people want to shit on the lockdown or, you know, the, the rules, whatever, I do think the exercise has been like the key thing that that should be, keeping people sane during it but everyone is different and it's up to them if they really want to do it i think yeah because there's some um <clears throat> we've definitely had some conversations on here where we say that i mean number one there's probably people who don't normally exercise who have just taken up exercise that has created a certain amount of um tension let's say certainly um uh, in, in dni's experience in brighton maybe not where you are i don't know but there's a lot more joggers around all of a yeah, sudden oh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, it's more it's more people using it like <coughs> if you, if you're doing it genuinely for the benefit of yourself, then great. But it was more when we were like in an, before the lockdown was eased at all. I felt like some people were using it almost as an excuse. Yeah, to, pretty much. You know, yeah. Oh, if I go out in my shorts, I can do what the hell I want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I still have to jog whilst I've got a can of beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never done that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but actually, I mean, to talk about being guided by the science, but um, keep it, I think another interesting thing they said on the Joe Rogan podcast, we sort of touched upon it in the comedy conversation earlier, is that we've got we've got a, a, a culture now of our, we've almost got like our tensions everywhere, but we're, yeah. most things we can have our attention on, we're sat down. We're sat down, we're not moving. And actually, I was thinking about it, I, I've been off my exercise regime for probably about two months when I went on honeymoon. And when I yeah. thought about it, if I didn't have my exercise and forget lockdown in, in a normal day to day scenario, if I didn't have any exercise, I'd literally be, I'd wake up after lying down. I'd go and eat breakfast, sitting down. I'd get in the shower, probably stand up for 10 minutes. I'd get on the bus sitting down. I'd go to work. Then I'd sit down, you know, eat lunch, sitting down, go back from work, sitting down, get home to watch TV, sitting down. So actually I didn't really, you know, I'll go to the pub, go to the cinema, sitting down. Right. I didn't, I didn't really stand up or do anything or move. And um, that actually how much that really, since I've restarted my exercise regime, I've just how much it fucks with my head sitting on the Xbox for an hour in comparison yeah. to doing 40 mm -hmm. minutes and even feeling like shit, but doing 40 minutes of a bit of running and, and lifting weights it's the it, aftermath the, of it, though, isn't it? Well, our, our bodies are made to, I think it's what some people missed in the exercise rules in the lockdown to what Rick was saying. Our bodies are made to move. Like, we're, we're meant to be movers. You know, you don't see a cat or a dog reading a newspaper on the chair. And that's not, <laughs> if you don't, though. You know, they're, they're I mean, moving. it's hilarious when you do. But. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but it's, it's so important to move. And knowing you, Rick, personally, like, I have to say, this is probably the best I have seen you personally in the how long we know each other now it's got to be eight nine seven. ten years about seven years now is it only seven? Oh god yeah um, well because no, i've been doing comedy eight years so, I so yeah it would like be seven. seven yeah yeah so it's seven years then um but this is the best that i've kind of energetic that i've seen you yeah and i, I generally feel that like it's, it's not something that i've needed a red bull to kind of get to this point like you know it's like um it's, it's been an incredible change because like i noticed that my fucking you know, the depression sinks in, like my, my eyes were just sunken in and I, just, I was bloated and just looking like shit. Um, and obviously I was, I was slow responding to things and my, my words weren't coming out the way I wanted them to. Still that way now, but that's, that's because I'm just stupid. But um, like, I just feel a hell of a lot better now that I've, I've done this and I've still got a while to go. Like I'm, I'm nowhere near how I want to look, but I do look and I feel a lot better than I have done in fucking a long time. And talk, talk me through a little bit. So your your regime. So uh, what's your diet at the moment? Uh, it's basically just high protein, uh, not not a lot of carbs. Like if I am going to have carbs, it will be like sweet potatoes and rice or something like that. But I'll also eat just a, a plethora of greens and just drink water. It's kind of boring. I don't mind it because I'm, I feel much better for it. Like I, I notice a difference where if let's say I had a Chinese um or, or a curry or something like that my my body immediately reacts to it because i i literally can't eat that stuff anymore mm. uh, so knowing that physically i can't really do it that's been like a, a bit of a, a positive change for me because like i don't i don't really get bored with what i'm eating now but i know it's a difference of when i do like 
eat something that's a bit naughty. I will have a treat, but I will notice the effects straight after. Rick, I'm aware that you've given us a lot of your time and obviously you need to go and have dinner. So I just want to say for me and Dee, thank you so much for being on the uh, podcast this evening. Yeah, and, thank uh, you, mate. To the listeners, do not forget, you can uh, look us up and check out our and check out the uh, podcast links on at the isolation ST on social media. So thank you once again to Rick Murta and uh, good night, everyone. DJ's isolation station. News and stories to the nation.